We're back. Welcome back to the Flat Out RC podcast, the podcast where we talk all things radio control flight. We're talking RC planes, helis, and drones. My name is Andrew Sill. I'm the host of this program, coming to you live from the land down under, Melbourne, Australia. Well, we're talking jets again this week. We've got a special guest. Uh, his name is Levi Wagner. Uh, talking all things turbines, turbine events. It's actually a great chat for anyone that is either looking to get into to turbine jets or wants to know more about turbine jets. It's a, some little pockets of gold that uh, Levi uncovers. So stay tuned for that. Uh, but before we get into the main part of the show. Let's take a look at what's been happening around the traps. I am still feeling good. If you listen to last week's podcast, I went for a fly uh, after being uh, let loose after a, a COVID lockdown and still feeling good because I managed to spend another time, another day out at the flying field, this time at my local flying club which was an awesome day uh flew a few projects that i'd played around with during the uh the covid lockdowns uh one was a sebart mythos pattern plane that uh had suffered some damage had been repaired a while ago and just finally got that back in the air and you couldn't even tell that it had been repaired it was absolutely perfect actually flew better than ever i really think and then my old trusty 72-inch extra 3D Hobby Shop extra that I've had for many, many years, 30cc. Uh, played around with a bit of tuning, engine tuning, and it's actually flying better than ever as well. So I, I can't complain. It's been really, really good. But whilst I was out at the field, a big shout out to Stevie Melkman, who I know listens to this podcast because he said, hey, here's a little reminder. If When, you, when people are coming out of lockdown and they go out for their uh, first flying session, just be careful because... We're all a bit rusty, so don't push yourself too much. And and Stevie's right. Uh, pick a, a nice, comfortable plane that you're happy to fly and you can fly safely and just ease into it. Uh, don't rush in there and uh, fly low straight away. Keep it a bit high. Uh, keep an eye out and see so you just get your eye in. And uh, I found that uh, a day of a bit of foamy play, I have been on the simulator a lot, uh, really helped me, but... A day of getting out there with the foamy really, really helped me in just dialing in my fingers so that uh, I was comfortable to fly. But that was yesterday. And today, down here in Melbourne, we've got extreme wind and hay fever. My voice has gone funny, I think. But anyway, as far as new products coming around, um, not too much to report on, but I, I, I don't know whether I've talked to all of you about um, a range of products that, uh, I've come to, to really like and I'll admit that I have, I do know the owner of this company and I have visited their factory over in China but uh, he doesn't even know I'm saying this I'm not getting paid a cent to, to mention the products but that uh, brand is Dual Sky. Dual Sky is a company that really works on electronics for the Aero Modeler. So everything from ESCs, motors, batteries and a few other little trinkets distribution boards I think they've got a few of those but they're probably renowned for their motors more than anything else. Uh, and I'll tell you what, their motors are phenomenal. Uh, they are really, really good quality motors. I've seen 
how they're manufactured. Actually, I've got a video on, my, on the Flat Out RC YouTube channel. There's a video on how the dual sky motors are made. But uh, the reason why I'm mentioning them is that a friend of mine just purchased one and uh, showed it to me. And the workmanship is unbelievable, the machine work. But I also know that the quality of the components they put into those motors are exceptional down to the magnets, the wire, uh, the quality control during the manufacturing process is amazing. So I haven't heard of anybody having a problem with dual sky motors. And then even their servos, I've got to mention their servo range, something that's growing in popularity down here in Australia because uh, bang for buck is massive with dual sky. What we see with servo manufacturers is we've got the traditionals, the high techs, the JRs, the Futabas, uh, the MKSs of the world, and they all um, make pretty damn good uh, servos. The price of some of them is getting up, especially here in Australia where we, where we suffer from a pretty bad exchange rate because most most products are bought in under you know, US dollar and then we have to convert them to Australian dollars and it's not great that uh, we lose about 30% in the conversion. Uh, the Dual Sky range are offering great performance at, at a, a reasonable price. You know, It's not the cheapest... And that's the other thing. Like, there's a lot of manufacturers out there, some of the cheap Chinese manufacturers, that they might look flashy, the servos, and they'll go and whack on the on the case, 46 kilograms of torque in this servo. It's very, very easy to print something onto a servo. Whether you can actually produce 46 kilos of torque out of your servo is a separate thing. And just go to YouTube, and you'll see a lot of people do test, torque tests. And, for example, that 46, I won't mention the brand, but that 46 kilo servo actually only put out around 24. So it, they're, they're very misleading. But Dual Sky is producing these servos that are uh, living up to their rating and to their performance specifications, especially as far as accuracy and speed. So they generally offer metal gear servos that are all digital. Uh, most of them are high voltage compatible servos. And they're generally just... As I said, great bang for buck. So if you're looking for a motor, ESC, servos, even batteries, again, with their batteries, uh, as I said, I, I do have met the owner a number of times and I've asked him, what's the difference between your batteries and others? And he said, well, the, the LiPo cells are really made by only a handful of manufacturers. What they do is they, they make sure they match the cells. So before they make up a pack, so they buy the cells in like most companies do but before they make you know assemble the battery they are testing the cells to make sure that they sort of can have like for like in that pack to, to, to give it the performance the consistency you don't want you know three cells out of a 4s pack being good and the and one not being as great so dual sky take a look give it a go uh you won't be sorry that you made the move to a dual sky product so there you have it free plug to my mates out of dual sky well now it's time for our special guest and levi wagner as i mentioned is our guest and levi has always been on my list of guests and a few weeks ago when i had a chat with paul bennett he mentioned that levi uh, does some uh, flying displays at, at full size events using his models and for you know for Paul and so I thought oh, bump him up the list. Uh, I haven't had someone talking turbines for a while on the on the on the program and 
I, I think turbines is one of those things that uh, it's hard to find information about them unless you talk to people, you know, about how they run because they're quite different to what most of us fly, being propeller-driven uh, aircraft. But uh, the more people that I speak to, the more knowledge I get. And so if it works for me, then I love sharing it with you guys. So Levi Wagner uh, from New South Wales, uh, been flying jets for a long time, uh, owns various different types of jets, uh, a real go-getter. He's also involved in setting up some events, and uh, which we will discuss uh, with Levi. So enough of my yapping. Over to my chat with Levi Wagner. Well, I've got a very special guest today. We are talking jets and our special guest is Levi Wagner, all the way from New South Wales. Levi, thanks for joining me. Andrew, thanks for having me, mate. Well, I I, I think I've mentioned this before, that I have this list of guests and your name came up through the traps and your name was on my list to have on as a guest. So I'm glad that I got you. And what you've got to thank Paul Bennett because Paul Bennett was on the <laughs> podcast a few weeks ago and he mentioned your name and I went, Ah, that's a, that's who I need to ask. Yeah. So oh, mate, it's yeah, it's good to come on and have a chat. I've been a, a fan of, of of the podcast and listened to I think every episode. So yeah, it's good to good to have a chat with you. Excellent. Well, very very good news to hear that at least one person is listening to the the episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't no, I don't listen good. to them. I, I record them and then I edit them and then that's it. I don't listen to them. Yeah, that's enough. But yeah, uh, yeah no, I've had enough. Now, Levi, you're a, you're a known entity up in the New South Wales flying scene, especially in the jet scene, but. Where did your journey in aero modelling begin? For me, it, it began uh, later than I wanted it to. I I used to pester mum and dad all through primary school um, for a radio-controlled plane. Um, they kept saying, when you start high school, when you start high school. Um, and, of course, that year ticked over. Uh, and for my birthday that year, I, I reminded them of their, of their, um, their promise. And, yeah, the, the, my birthday that year... First year of high school, um, so that would have been 1993-ish. I would have been 12. Uh, I got a President Highboy, it was, oh, yeah. um, and uh, Magnum 40 engine. And, um, yeah, I had no idea what I was doing. I'd never actually been to a model aero club. None of my family members are, are into it, so I've got no idea where, where the obsession came from. But... Um, I, I built this thing, well, um, a, a poor attempt at building it. Um, and then six, 12 months later, I can't remember, I, I took it out to my local field at um, Manning Model Aero Club, which is, they fly at Wingham and it's a Taree Aero Club. And I turned up with this this horrible looking um, attempt at a trainer. And um, I was approached straight away by Bob Bennett, who's Paul Bennett's father. Um, he came over and made, it was a, an incredible experience of kindness and just that they spent, um, Bob, um, sorry, Paul came over as, as well a couple of hours later and between Bob and Paul, they went through the whole plane. Instead of sending me home with homework uh, of things to fix, um, they actually got in there, fixed everything, showed me what I was doing wrong um, and then that afternoon we actually flew the plane. So about three or four hours later, of them fixing all my bodgy work, the plane flew. And then, of course, you know, I'm taking the plane home. Uh, it's got oil all over. It's got that smell. Yeah. And, and, mate, I was, I was, you know, apart from a brief stint out of the hobby for like eight years or something, uh, I was hooked. I was hooked for life from then. 
But it's interesting that you can't you can't recall how you got interested in radio control planes because a lot of us sort of there was some experience, even though for me it was funny. I was through magazines. I don't know. Yep. I don't know, but so you, you get that plane in about ninety three. You do the bodgy job. Yep. Yep. You take it out in the field. The Bennett's do the right thing by you. You get it up in the air. Now, obviously, it was on a buddy box or sharing. No, it wasn't. No, no, we didn't really have a buddy box in. So I had a, a circuit or two, I guess, that, that, that day. And, and you know, Bob was just taking it up and landing it for me. And that continued for a little while till I got confident enough to to, to do it myself. And, and um, yeah, and then, and then it just powered on from there. And, then I changed to my second model, took the Magnum 40 over. I think it was a, a model tech hurricane, which was a mid-wing aerobatic aeroplane. And um, that's when Paul started coaching me a bit more with, with aerobatics and, my, you know, beginner's aerobatics and, um, and stuff like that. So Paul sort of took over from Bob then. And, and um, yeah, that was probably mid-90s, mate. That was long before Paul had ever even seen or, or been in a, um, a full-size aeroplane. Um, he was, you know, right at the top of the tree back then of the, of the model scene and the go-to man for all of that. Um, yeah, so he, he coached me and I flew the hurricane for, yeah, a couple of years. And then I, then I got out of the, the hobby. I, the hurricane actually crashed. Um, the, the hatch that goes on the bottom where you put the batteries in, it got a bit of fatigue over time. And I think the screws must've pulled out, lost the hatch, the turbulent air, loosened the battery pack, battery pack fell out and the and the plane and the plane crashed and and mate that um that broke my heart. But that sort of coincided with a time in my life where I was probably sixteen and like some of your other guests, other things take over when you're a sixteen year old boy. And um yeah, then then I was out of it for probably eight to ten years from there. I'll tell you what, if you're a psychologist You'd have a field day listening to this podcast because yeah. every male has the same problem. Yeah. We get to a certain age and we give up the hobby because something else is on our mind. Yep. Yeah. So you go start chasing women. Yep. Uh, Hi, Rachel. Can, can, <laughs> can I can I guess that you then got into cars or something as well? Oh, mate, you are so true. Yeah. So I I grew, I grew up riding dirt bikes as well. So and and mate, I had a mixture of everything. So, so when I was seventeen, I bought a, a V eight Commodore Ute, and then that thing, you know, that kicks off. Then I get an apprenticeship. Then I get a blue cattle dog. We're riding dirt bikes nearly every weekend. I start um, competitive bodyboarding and and um, non-competitive surfing. So, and then I was in a band as well. So we had gigs. So that time was, was crazy, you know, and, and I guess when I had the crash and the mishap, that, that you know, the motivation, I guess, and the, um, and I was a bit shocked. I'd never crashed anything before. And um, yeah, everything just happened like that. And that, that was a stint of about 10 years away from it. But it was good to do all of those things that I'll never do again and, and enjoy that time of life But because modeling is going to be forever, you know. So it was, um, yeah, it is a period where everyone sort of goes off a bit, isn't it, that age? Well, well, they say that the male brain doesn't fully develop till around about 28, I'd say about 40, yep. but around 28 yep. <laughs> and we're full of testosterone and I've got, I've got a similar story to you. A lot of those things that you just mentioned yep playing the band uh yep 
I just bought a dirt bike though. I've just got a dirt bike oh, really? at the age of 47 because you know, that's what cool. you do. But you know, yep. race cars, go karts, you name yeah, it. Yeah, nice. But yep. I think, yeah, you you're right in saying that. Like we were virile young men, and we've got to go out and do other things because I actually thought that the hobby was going to be my retirement hobby. I just bought it for it about 30 years. Yep. But um, because I was interested <laughs> yep. when I was a kid. But um, okay. Well, yep. it's good to see that you followed that thing. Now, the interesting thing is, what brought you back? At what point did you decide, okay, I want to go back flying? Yeah. Well. I've always been obsessed with jets, not necessarily um, model jets, but jets right from when I was little. Dad used to take Top Gun. He'd only take the jet scenes because it wasn't suitable. So I'd I'd have a tape of just the jet scenes of Top Gun. He used to take me down and, oh, like, mid to late 80s, and we'd watch the F-18s take off at Williamtown at the RAF base. And so even through that whole time, I still love jets and, um, and, and models as well. I, I still... I, yeah, and everyone says, if you get out of it, keep your gear because you'll always come back to it. And that was so true. Um, but all, all my gear was cactus after a decade out of it. But I moved to Sydney with my now wife um, for three or four years just to be with her while she, while she did um, university down there. And during that time, I wasn't surfing as much. I wasn't playing in the band. I wasn't doing those things. I wasn't riding dirt bikes or surfing or whatever. So I started browsing around a few hobby shops like, Wings and Things, um, Kellett's Hobbies, and it just started to, to tick it all over in, in my, my brain again. And um, I bought I bought a, an extra, extra 300, and went back to, there was a club here at Foster, and, and went and saw those guys. And um, I asked one of them, because uh, I hadn't seen or spoken to Paul for maybe eight years, 10 years at that point, and I said to one of them, look, I want to, I want to get into jets. I saw a YouTube video of a, a jet that's got an actual turbine in it now, and they're not ducted fans, they're proper jet engines. And they said, oh, yeah, Paul flies jets at Maitland. So I went down there for a Maitland scale day and sort of reunited with Paul. And um, he talked me through his jet that he had down there, and then I ordered one. Um, and it's been full throttle ever since. And I committed pretty hard too because I had a – a beautiful R8 Maloo ute um, that I sold to get into jets. So that's how I was pretty, I was pretty, um, apparently I can't have it all, Andrew. Well, um, it's a problem. Well, that's, other people say that. But yeah. all I can think yep. of when you said R8 Maloo ute, that imagine what that car would be worth now. Oh, I know. It made, I, I sold it. It had 25,000 Ks on it. So I should have, I should have just put in, mothballed it and, um, and dragged it out in another decade. But, um, yeah, so I committed pretty hardcore. And, um, yeah, then I, I got my first jet, which was the wrong jet. Um, uh, it was a bit too advanced for me. So the, the journey was a bit longer than it had to be. But, yeah, that, that's how I got to, I got back into it. So you, were, so you, you came back through the extra plane. But, um, yep. It's interesting. That getting back into it, was it walking to a hobby shop and looking around and then falling in love with everything again? Definitely. Getting that obsession again. You see the planes hanging from the ceiling, no. um, you know, all of that stuff. You see the stuff behind the glass counter, you know, just everything there in your face and you can't help but, um, but you know, relive that first time all over again. And I think it's hardwired into us, mate. It seems to – you don't seem to ever lose that. Um, so – yeah, it's it, yeah, it come back pretty quick. That feeling of walking into a hobby shop still fa fascinates me. I've, I've oh, from same. A, for me, I've been like 
when I was a kid, my parents liked traveling a lot. And so we, we traveled around a lot. And I remember being in Singapore during the height of the RC car thing. And yep. I'd have to go into every single shop and see it. RC car, <laughs> yep. you'd walk in. And every time here in Melbourne, for anybody, anybody lives in Melbourne can remember, you could walk down Lonsdale Street near Meyer and there were two hobby stores across the road from each other. And every time we were in the city, I had to go to these hobby stores. And yep. and then, and, and, and like you said, the planes hanging from the roof. You know, it's it was, everything, isn't it? I, it oh. still excites me when I go into a hobby shop and then, you know, they've rekindled those Tamiya cars that we, yes, all, yes, that we yes. all had. When you see a wall of those, the frog, the fox, yeah. the hornet, the... Oh man, that's just yeah. It's just I don't know what it is. But, yeah. Well, I always wanted a boomerang. Never got the, the, the yeah, boomerang. yeah. Yep. Plenty of mates. White one. The hot shot, you know, there was yep. a big one too, and that came out. But yep. Yeah. Even even going to Sydney, we used to go to Sydney to you know visit Rellos or whatever, and I had to go to Wings and things, and um, yep. you know the, the, some of the stores in the city, and it was just the candy store kind of stuff. Yeah. And I don't yeah. think we have that as much now with the online stuff. Where we we lose a bit of that sense of. The, the you, physical you space that you, and the enjoyment yep. of, of walking in. It's like, gee, yep. showing my age. Yeah, anyway. you do, mate. And, and like you've mentioned about magazines in one of your previous thingies, you know, it's the same thing. It's the, 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 the touch and the smell and the uh, everything that got us into the, into the hobby in the first place. It, it'd be a shame to lose all of that. Well, I think we've lost it now. But yeah. the, thing yeah. with, the thing with magazines, I love magazines. Like, you know, I'm, yep. I subscribe yeah, to Dirt Bike magazine. And, you know, last night before I went to sleep, I opened the magazine and, and I'll read the same thing over and over again. And I keep them and yep. I have piles of them. My wife yells at me, when are you going to get rid of these piles of magazines? <laughs> yep. the, 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 model, the problem with magazines is the cost of production of them, like the yep. pure cost of printing and even postage nowadays oh, that, i can imagine if someone wanted to buy a magazine for me just a one-off it's five dollars in postage yep you know, yeah it's five bucks that's, that's yep. significant like a third of the cost of the magazine is going to, yeah. to australia post to ship it to somebody so it's just getting it's, harder and harder and with the sort of the decline in the numbers and the internet it's just yep which is it's a big big shame because i still i still have a passion for it yeah I'm, but I'm, mate, it is I'll, a shame i'll be yep. honest though i'm not missing missing producing the magazine because it's it's so much work and and it had to be a very very lean operation for it to just to cover costs so yeah and you can't have that if you're spending that nah. much time and effort you've got to make money so um yeah that, that that is a real shame for sure but it's all right we move on yeah. and at least you know the good thing is that we can still go flying and what i've noticed you know melbourne's come out of lockdown and people are back at flying yeah, fields so good. and yep. everyone is just so happy and it just yep enjoying getting back and flying again and seeing mates and all that kind of stuff. It's just such oh, a good thing. Mate. You must have just got out of the car and just rolled on the grass. I went for, for a the... fly on Sunday and I couldn't still, they still the 25 kilometer ring of steel in place around your house kind of thing. And, yep. But I could get to Caulfield Racecourse where they had the horse race and you're allowed to fly in the middle of it. It's actually legal to fly. Yeah, in the middle cool. There's a club there and actually it's the first time I've ever seen the club members there, you know, um, yep, that'd be perfect. I went for a fly and I did about seven flights, just of a foamy, aerobatic foamy. Oh, that's and a, I came, something good for the brain. Yeah. I came back buzzing, absolutely buzzing. <laughs> but the good news is I'm going out. I'm going out flying again. So uh, it's all, all planned. So it's yeah. it's good to be back. That's so, so good. You, now you mentioned that you bought the wrong jet. All right. Yep. What, what jet did you buy? Well, I bought a one eight scale Skymaster F sixteen. Um, so. I was trying to get one of those boomerang because but back then there wasn't you know we so much choice now with with um, sport jets uh, that are ideal for first jets or, or even trainers but 
back then there was either the delta shaped one, like the kangaroo or the rookie, which I didn't really like, um, or you know one of the twin boom ones. And so I, I went to get one of the boomerang jets, the boomerang intro, I think it was, um, but they were out of stock and we're going to be for six to ten months or something. So I um, I pulled the trigger on a one eight F sixteen, and I thought, oh well, that's all right. I'll I'll just get help, and I will, um, you know, it's going to be a bigger step, but I'll just make it more gradual, gradual, and um, and I'll, I'll get the hang of it. But yeah, that that was not that was not a good choice um, because it's a pretty small jet, so it was hard to see. Um, it was one I had one of the first JetCat P80s that came out, and it was a dinosaur in terms of spool up time. So you'd hit the throttle, and it would take so long for the for the turbine to come up. Um, and the jet was heavy for its size, so it had a really high wing loading as well. So um, it was all right flying. Flying, it's easy, but when it comes time to land, um, and it was at a less than suitable field as well, I, I had a lot of a lot of setbacks. You know, I was breaking the landing gear mounts. I, did, I didn't crash it, but I I thumped it on pretty hard a lot of times, and um, it got to a point where I just started thinking um, maybe maybe this isn't for me, you know, maybe I can't do this. Maybe I haven't, you know, maybe I'll never have this covered. And and um, um, and what happened there was I, I started going to Tamora Jets, which is a bigger runway and and uh, more room and more room for error and started getting the hang of it there. But that was only once a year. So you put yourself under so much pressure for that one weekend um, to, to get the job done. And uh, eventually I ordered, believe it or not, a Skymaster Viper Jet. And mate, that that transformed my whole. Like I went from almost throwing it in, not because I didn't want to do it, but because I I thought I couldn't do it. Um, I went from that to um, to the Viper jet, and mate, that was absolutely gold. So, like with the F sixteen, you know, I've got Paul standing next to me, and you know, if you hand your hand your, hand your transmitter to Paul, that that's a ticket. You, you, your plane's going home in one piece. You know that's a ticket back to the pits without a scratch. So, but that's that's good. But and it saved a lot of models over the years. But I wanted to I wanted to progress. I wanted to be the one doing everything. So, um, yeah, the Viper jet, mate, that was gold, absolute gold. It's the best thing, and that jet um, is the the sole reason why I I sort of progressed on and that that I've you know got the models I've got today because it taught me how to fly and, and it was forgiving it was aerobatic you can putt around the sky you could knife edge the, the length of the field if you wanted so mate you'll really enjoy yours but yeah anyone getting into jets i, I can't stress enough just choose a, a model that um that, that that's friendly and that's suitable for sure yeah what, what size was your viper jet it was the bigger one right? same as yours two no, meter two, two meter yep. yeah yep see it's, it's one of those things like i've seen a lot of jets fly and and like you said, when they're actually, you know, taking off and in the air, that's pretty much okay. But I've literally yep. been at some fields where everybody goes, okay, stand by, waiting for the crash to happen when the plane comes into yep. land. And yep. it really just observing put me off some of the F-16, F-18, yep. F-15s, all these yeah, kind of planes. Yep. Because, yep. you know, I'd go be down at the Ararat Club, I remember down here in country Victoria, and they've got a massive 300-metre runway, right, which they, yep. they manicure nicely for the jets and whatever. But, you know, there were two jets up in the air, and they're coming into land. One one ran through the trees, coming, which 
it's pretty i don't know it's pretty they're pretty far away the trees but one ran through the trees and the next one yep. comes along clips the trees as well and i'm thinking wow. what's going on and yeah. it, and i just thought i felt for the poor pilots with the stress knowing that you can't bring it in too slow yeah or else the thing yep. is going to plonk onto the ground and so yep. I, I sort of i think naturally navigated towards a sport jet but oh you have to i yep. i like I've, I've always sort of personally gone more towards like sporty things like Yep. sports cars and you know when i had a race car it was an open wheel a formula ford race car you know i just didn't want oh, to have a sedan so awesome. for me it was like it had to be a sporty connotation so the sport jet i think sort of um you know is, is where i i see myself fitting so yep okay a few questions on that the difference between the two right between you know the fighter kind of jet and your viper jet let's let's start with Let's start with, um, say, just the flying of it, because taking off's taking off. But yep, what, yep. what, you know, what, what are the differences that you see? Well, well, flying around the air, there's not a heap of difference. The, the Viper jet feels a hell of a lot lighter in the air than, than say, F eighteen or F sixteen. So, when you're pulling it around the corner, you don't, you know, some of the big scale jets, if you're pulling them tight around the corner, I don't know, you get this thing that, yeah, I, I am pulling a lot of energy here. I'm you know, there's a, I've got a lot of machine on the end of this stick and it's, it, there, there's, um, you know, a lot of force and whatever, but the Viper jet's light as a light as a feather around the sky. It'll go anywhere. It won't, you know, even if you get slow, it won't tip a wing. It won't, um, it, it won't feel unstable and, and for landing. So your Viper jet can be more like, um, like, like even like a prop trainer, you, the, the style you can adapt to landing a Viper jet is you can come around the corner and mate, halfway through that final turn, if you're in the right spot, you have the right speed and right position, you can chop the throttle and then you can, you can glide it in like any plane. Um, and, and it's really, um, you know, that's good to do at the start while you're learning, you know, you need to just get a, a few learning, uh, a few landings under your belt and, and, and just learn flying the plane and then you can work towards the more high alpha and slower landings. Um, but that, that, that's a big difference. Whereas you, you can't do that with a scale jet. So what, what a lot of guys will do is if they've got a heavier scale jet, they'll, uh, at the start, a, a common trap and I've made it, all of us have, you come around the corner, you're, you're worried about getting too slow. So you're going way too fast. So you pull the throttle back to idle because you're going too fast. Then the thing sails past you, you know, three metres high. It's at idle. It's going too quick to land, but you're at idle and it's too slow to go around. So then, you know, it flies past. They open the throttle because they're out of runway. Then the thing starts to tip, tip its wings and, you know, can stall. And I've seen that happen so many times. And, and, um, and, and that's not me being critical. I've done it. Everyone's done it. So... That's one of the biggest things is is being scared to be too slow, but then being too fast. So, a jet like a Viper jet, you know, really, um, that's still possible, but it's it's much easier to to progress um, w with something like a Viper jet. And then the step will be a lot a lot shorter when when you do go to a scale jet from there. So, um, there's a reason why you see so many F-18s uh, for sale on the classifieds because. Um, yeah, everyone wants an F-18 or a, or a whatever as their first jet, but, yeah, they're just no good um, to start yeah, with. Yeah. A question for you. When you come into land, um, you know, when, you, when you go to the average flying event, you see all sorts of 
landings that you know yep. the ones that go long the ones that go short the ones that sort of you know landed at their feet kind of thing yep at what when you're bringing a jet to land what are you looking for and what's your abort point at what point do you say okay i've got to get around now this is yeah. going to come in if, if if you if you're not lined up then straight away i'd hit the gas and go around because then you'll find if you're not lined up then you're not only fight, fighting your height and your sink rate, you're fighting left and right as well. So you're, you're using more ailerons than you need to. And unlike a prop powered aeroplane, um, you don't have prop wash over the wings. Um, so if you need to slow a prop plane down, you can easily. You get off the gas and the prop will slow it down. And then if you want to get back on the gas, bang, you've got power, you've got speed and you've got control. But with a jet, you've got none of that. So you've got to be a couple of seconds ahead. So number one is if you're not lined up, go around. Um, another thing I look for, when, and the only way to, to, to um, uh, establish what's right and what's wrong is to do it. But if you can see too much of the bottom of your jet when, you, when you're coming around, um, you know you might be too slow. And also the, the, the biggest factor is how much elevator you're holding. So if you're holding a lot of elevator, and the plane is still sinking quicker than it needs to, um, you know, it's, it, it's common, you know, it's instinct to pull more, more elevator, and then that's, that's game over from there. So you're using power for your descent more with the bigger scale jets instead of elevator. You shouldn't really touch the elevator too much. Um, so if you're descending too quick, you need more power. Um, so, yeah, but being, never be afraid to go around. I, um, yeah, the, the last bit of the landing, the flare, is the easiest. If you get to the point of flare, then you're home and hosed. Um, it's it's getting to that point that's a tricky bit, and that is the point that you can go around. So, but yeah, you got to do it early, or or you or you you snookered. Yeah, I'm a big believer of um, trying to get that touchdown happening. Say say you're flying from left to right across your body, that yep. you want that touchdown to happen to the left of your body to the left of yep. you kind of thing because i always yep. find that when people sort of hang it on there and they come sailing past now they're chasing the plane down the runway and Definitely. the pressure starts mounting the, and yep. the runway's coming up i'm going to hit the oh, fence no. so the grass is going to run out and blah, blah blah and i've seen that at the shepherd and mammoth scale event down here i've seen a you know a few stacks there and there have been a, a number of crashes as a result of landing long Yep. And like you were saying, you've got to get lined up. Yeah. I always say good landing starts with starts way, way back in the sky. It sure and does. And it's, it's so many people just keep on committing to getting the plane down. And it's at an event especially where there's a bit of stress because there's people watching and there's other people in the air. And you said you were going to land. And the last thing you do is say, well, I'm going around for the third time, which I yep. have a problem in saying anyway. I do that yep. plenty of times. Yep. but. And then they get the coach standing next to them. Oh, a bit to the right, bit to the right. Not, not too much now. Not, right. And this plane's zigzagging, yep. sailing yep. past. Now they're getting stressed and everyone's yelling at them, get it down, get it down. And yep. And, and the trap you can fall into when it's like that, and, uh, is, and, and mate, I'm, I'm not sitting, sitting on a throne here talking like a guru. I've made all the mistakes and I, I'm learning all the time. And there's a, lots of guys uh, more experienced than me. But um, if you, um, I forgot what I was going to say then. <laughs> <laughs> it was good too. Um, anyway, we'll come. We'll come back to that. I'll remember it. Yeah, yeah. I've uh, I've had plenty of uh, issues in coming to land. Uh, like, yep. well, you know, my, the biggest issue I have in coming to land is a depth perception problem. I don't know whether it's because my glasses that I wear. I don't know whether it's 
the sunglasses that I wear with the um yeah. the tinting on them or the um the polarization the whatever. But yeah. I can't see whether I've cleared the fence or haven't cleared the fence. Am I over the yep. fence? And that depth perception and something that I'm training myself to do is try not to land too short. Yep. Uh, that you know, well, I keep on saying to clubs, if you're going to make a runway, don't make the runway butt up against the fence line. Cut your yep. mo- cut your runway in because there's a mental barrier. Like we're aiming for the end of the runway, which happens to be yep. a, where a fence is. And yep. I, I actually, I'm going to this weekend. I'm going to remade and a little pattern plane that I've got, which I collected the top of a wire fence and the wire sort oh. of hit just under the cowl and went in a straight line and stopped at the undercarriage. And yep. it's re- it was repairable. A friend of mine fixed it for me. But yep. um, but I, and I hit a tree on my 100cc, a second flight oh, in, no. clipped a tree. And I, I did turn around to a mate of mine and said, have I cleared the cleared the trees? And then I clipped yep. it and he went, no. Oh, no. See, that is really hard, though. That's extremely hard to judge depths like that. Um. Yeah, yeah, and um, that that that's tricky. So I wouldn't be too worried about that. It's you know, and like you said, if you land just before your feet, then it doesn't matter, like because you know it's it's there. Um, and um, yeah, actually, sorry, what I was going to say is, uh, yeah, yeah, to 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 touch on what you said about guys getting stressed flying and and whatever. Yeah, what can happen is they can you you can get worked up into a state that you just want it to be over. You want to get the plane. Uh, back on the ground. Doesn't matter if it's a jet or a warbird or aerobatic plane. Um, and that's when that's when it, it goes wrong because you're you're almost forcing it to the ground and you you don't want to go around. You just want the uncomfortable feeling to be over. So um, yeah, that that is definitely another thing. And that's why having I think having a good spotter is absolutely gold. Someone who can just give you just enough information but not overload you. Someone that that you know is equal or better than you that that can sort of fly the plane in with you and just mention, okay, mate, you're a bit slow there or, um, yeah, but being screamed at definitely doesn't help. That's for sure. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. It, it's funny that it, how, it's how we change depending on what we're flying and the, and the, the size of plane that we fly and the value of the plane. So for example, I can get on the simulator and do crazy stuff. I'll be flying a foot off the ground doing knife edge passes and that kind of stuff. And it's not an issue. Yep. Get a foamy and I've got to be at least four meters in the air. Get a balsa plane. <laughs> I've got to be at least 10 meters in the air. And and, yeah. and even like, I know I haven't flown my jet yet. It's still, you know, we've just been let loose and I, I want to just brush up on a few basic skills before I get to yep. the jet at the moment. But yep. I know that I'm not going to have an issue flying it. Not yep. one issue flying it. The yep. only thing is the unknown of how is this thing going to land. Everyone tells me it's going to be great and yep. and I'm going to psych myself up. But I think that's the biggest thing that people get scared is with turbines. We know there's a bit of value in the in the, in the model and yep. we're just worried about getting it back on the ground. Definitely. What is your Dollar tip? For, for someone that's going to go for a maiden, yep. what is your suggestion? How, how should it be done? Okay, well, you've ticked the first box. You, you, you've, um, you've chosen... A suitable model. You tick the second box. Um, I heard one of your previous podcasts. You've been talking to Paul McCarthy. He's a great guy. He knows a lot. Um, the third box that you need to tick is go to an airport. Don't go to a short grass field. Um, go to go to Mangalore down your way or Wangaratta. They're all great guys and they know so much. Um, and for you, like, like when when we're at Kempsey or Tari or whatever, if if someone's you know we've had a lot of a lot of first timers there. Um, and I just say to them, look, the runway's there. If you need to use it, just use it. Like if you're short, if you're long, 
at the start, it doesn't matter. Um, so, so just don't panic. Don't be afraid to use the runway. And uh, like, even if you touch down, and you're a bit hot, you know, then you're, you're scrambling to find the wheel brakes. And if you're at a grass strip, you, you, your percentage of success is, is greatly reduced, I think. And, um, you know, you might get away with it eight times out of 10, but it, it's far better to go to an airport and learn your jet there. And then once you've got the hang of it, sure, take it back to your, your, your club field or, or whatever. But, mate, your Viper will be a real non-event. Non you, you'll just go, wow, that was so good. And, it, you know, it's, it'll be so smooth. And you'll do that first landing and you'll, be, you'll just be blown away. You'll be hooked. It's just the first one. Once you get the first one out of the way. Exactly. Everything, yep. everything, you know, it's like anything. You know, when you go for your driver's license, you've got the nerves going. And once, you, once you've done it and... You're, you're sweet yep. and you don't have the same yeah. kind of nerves. Definitely. Just li little things like residual thrust as well. That You don't have that with a prop plane. Uh, and when, when a jet gets slow, um, you know, the, the controls will get a bit mushy. And so it's no harder than any of the planes you've flown already. Um, it's just different. So you just got to, uh, you know, look out for the signs of what you're looking for as opposed to what you were looking for with a prop plane. And um, I'm sure you'll find it... Uh, you know, in the company that you'll have down there at one of those venues, mate, it'll be a, um, a non-event and you'll, yeah, you'll just be, you'll be smiling. Now, question for you in relation to EDFs versus turbines and how they fly. Have you flown any EDFs before? Yeah, mate. I, I, I don't have a club really that, I don't have any aeroplanes anymore. So I don't have a club that I can just go out to and fly. So the only time I get to fly is at... Um, at our airports when we organize organize those days and they can be you know they can be six eight weeks apart so i've gone and bought myself a um oh, one of those f-16s it might be uh from extreme jets or or one of those i've got a yeah got one of those i've got i've got a flex jet as well um and mate that their goal that that f-16 it's surprisingly um tricky to fly um so having an EDF as training for your head is, is really valuable. So you don't get as much, well, you don't get any lag uh, like you do with turbine, but how the jet's flying through the air and no prop wash and all of that is very similar. And, and what can be good training is anyone can fly a jet fast of any, of any kind. It's flying slow. That's when you start to feel really uncomfortable. And that's the feeling you need to get used to to, to have success. So if you've got a, an EDF jet and, and you went out there and you start dragging it slow around the sky, dragging the tail around and get a bit of alpha going and um, that's really valuable training. I, I, I even take mine out if I haven't flown for a little while and we've got a flying day coming up and I don't even care what wind. I, I've flown mine in <laughs> winds that are way beyond what you should fly it in. I've ripped all the gear doors off, all the nose is bent up because I'm just using it as a training tool and just flying it in like 30 knot crosswind. And it's just good, good, good for my thumbs because I don't get to fly anywhere else. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's a very, a very good step as well. If, if you can get onto one of those. Good. Cause I have got a Viper jet foamy that I've been playing around with and, yep. and you're right. Yeah. It's, it's like um, one of the things that, you know, it was the first sort of jet that I'd flown that this, this foamy Viper jet and, it blew my mind. Like it was so easy to land. It was. Oh, it was. Yeah. It was the biggest non-event. Like my landings on the foamy Viper jet, the EDF, were better than any of my other planes. I could yeah. literally, someone could <laughs> draw an X on the runway, and I'd hit it every time. But yep. yeah, just getting 
what you mentioned about um, slow speed flight, and I'm actually starting to get this feeling that we all fly too fast, even with prop yeah. planes. I see people with aerobatic planes that are designed for like 3D aerobatics, and they don't realize that you could fly the plane at half the speed that they think they can, and the plane would still be okay. Yeah, yeah, I reckon. And I think when people are nervous as well, you fly faster. You know, if it's your first flight of the day, or you haven't flown for a while, or it's a new model, um, yeah, you get that bit of anxiety, and you and you um, yeah, you want to you want to fly a bit faster. But yeah, don't be afraid to 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 pull it back. And you know, obviously, you've got to the first few flights, you've got to fly it like it's going to stop or or expect it to. Um, so, you know, for your first couple of flights, figure eights are good. Um, and, and figure eights um, always turning towards the runway. So if it stops anywhere in that figure eight, then you've got a good chance of, um, of getting it back. And, you know, once you've got five or six flights, it's, it's um, you know, it, that's a pretty positive thing that it's not going to stop. And having said that, this day and age, it's not like it used to be. Um, flame outs are, are, are very rare. So... Um, but yeah, you'll find you're on the gas when you're up there and, and so your spotter might say, okay, Andrew, just pull back a bit, mate. Um, and you'll be surprised how slow that thing will fly. Yeah. Now, for anyone that's looking to get into jets, and we've already covered off some really, really good points there, but how much flying experience do you think someone should have before they get into a turbine jet? Um, if, if you make the right selection, then, um, Oh, you, you could you could be there after eighteen months, two years with simulators these days. And I wasn't necessarily a naturally gifted flyer. I, I had to work uh, pretty hard. It took me a while to get up to speed. But some people can just pick it up really quickly. So yeah, it depends on the individual. But if if you if you're serious about it and and you if you're successfully flying, you know one of the larger sort of heavier EDF jets and um and you're not having any issues there, and you've done some sim time, then, yeah, man, there's no reason why you couldn't couldn't jump um, from that straight onto a, like one of the twin boom things, Excalibur or Viper Jet. I love the Viper Jets because they're a proper jet, and um, the twin boom ones, when there's a bit of wind, they don't like to land. They don't like to come down. They just stay floating in the air. Um, so, uh, yeah, mate, I, I think with, with the, sim- the simulator is great too. What I do, if I haven't flown for a little while, I'll get, I've got one of the real flights and I'll get the L39 and you can go in and customize it. And I just add a heap of weight to the model. I add as much weight as I can to the model. So it's a pig. Um, and that's really good training because the jet stock on, on real flight is not, is not accurate. You know, like you just cut the throttle and glide it in. Um, so if you load it up with some weight and little things like that, that um, just trains your brain. And um, yeah, yeah, mate, I reckon two years and, you know, from go to woe these days with the technology, someone could be could be onto that. Yeah, the uh, I've been on the sim with the with the Viper jet, but the Viper jet that I've got, it's totally unrealistic. You, you literally can cut the throttle and fly it like a glider. I literally yep. once, I thought, I wonder how many circuits I can do with the power off, and the <laughs> flaps down. And this thing was did like three circuits. And I really? still was going too fast to land, and I'm thinking, yeah. But I'm going to go and do that. I'm going to go and put some more weight, and 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 because yeah. But I, I'm a big fan of the simulator. I I got a message from my sim buddy just before saying simulator tonight. I said, nah, it's podcast recording. Got to do some other work. Yeah. And, but yep. um, like at least a couple of days a week you know, or a couple of nights a week, we're on the sim, and uh, and yep. being in lockdown and stuff like that. I I got on a fair bit, and 
if I really, really want to improve, I force myself to get on every day and, and at least do half an hour. And yep. and I, I literally, I flew, I've been practicing aerobatic maneuvers, you know, it's like rolling from knife edge to knife edge. I went yep. out on the weekend with the foamy and I nailed every single one, like stopping exactly that. on the dial. And that was for wow. not being in the real thing. It's because the simulator, and the other thing I find the simulator does is boost your confidence. Yeah. I'm not. I don't have to think as much. My 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 muscles know what to do, and and that's why I'll you know leading up to my jet maiden and stuff like that. It's just a mental training thing. Yeah, I'm confident. I've done I've done my practice. I'm yep. ready to go, kind of thing. And and I'll, I know I'm going to be fine. I know the plane's going to be yeah, you will be fine. But yeah, I, it's but still no. getting on that sim. It just it just tidies things up a little bit and blows out some of the rust. It does. It gets your brain not thinking about the things that you probably would have thought about if you didn't go on the sim, like it, it you know, you, you, your brain, it gives your brain room because you're so comfortable and the muscle memory and all that sort of stuff. It gives your brain room to think about the other stuff, like what the, what the jet looks like in the air, the attitude of it, the, the whole flight. Um, so yeah, definitely mate. I, I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the simulators as well. I'll get on there and just try and practice, you know, point rolls left to yeah, right. Yep. Yep. Like, like for like 10 minutes, just trying to do four point rolls, both directions and that's all I'll do. I won't even practice anything else. Hmm. Um, so it's, it's, um, yeah, no, no, it's gold for sure. And that'll be a very valuable tool um, for you getting into jets. One thing I've been, um, I was talking to a friend about this the other day and I said, you know, I, I, I always, everybody knows that I'm into aerobatics and that's, that's the thing that I enjoy doing and, and the attainment of the skill, you know, and the, the journey to, you know, master that four point role is something that I enjoy. Yep. And I, I was talking to him about the expectation that you need to have on yourself when you fly. So what I mean by that is when I go to the field, I expect that every one of my flights is neat. Yep. That I'm not scooting around the sky and one minute I'm going in that direction, the next minute I'm up and I'm down. And I'm, you know, when I pull vertical, it has to be literally vertical with the wings level. It's not vertical swaying to the right or I'm at 80 degrees instead of 90 degrees and all this kind of stuff. It's that... I have, and I kick myself when I muck when I muck a roll up. I kick myself and go, that's not what I want to do. And I think yep. by having that level of expectation when I go to the field is going to make me a better pilot because I'm striving for a better standard. Now I'm not trying. I'm not going to win a competition. I'm not going to enter a competition. But when I go and fly, I want to be neat, and I know that Definitely. neat is precise. And so. That is my standard. If I'm flying a foamy, if I'm flying a 30cc, 100cc, a turbine, it has to be neat. And it, that's why I'm in the simulator. I'm, at this, I'm, I'm playing in the simulator to work on my precision and training my brain to know what to do so that I can be nice and neat. And I think with jets as well, that a jet display is great. It, it, absolutely awesome and people love seeing a jet fly because the sound the smell the you know uh, the yep. speed they just look great in the air yep and the last thing i want to do is just sit there and fly really bad circuits with the jet i want to be able to say you know i'm going to do a four point roll i'm going to do some loops i'm going to do some you know turnaround maneuvers you know whatever um yep. it's just got to be neat and, and as i said simulator plays a big part for me and building the dream and the vision of what the plane must look like when it's in the air. That, that's a great skill that, that, that you, well, obviously it's wired into you, um, but, but that's a great thing to have, you know, guys will be, yeah, you know, you might not be wanting to go out and win competitions, but for someone to sit back and watch a structured or, or disciplined flight like that, 
that you know the verticals are on point. You know, if you do a square loop that, you know, all axes are the same, it just looks really, really cool. And, you know, the guys will be sitting in the pits going, wow, that does look, that looks nice. And when you get it right, sure, you're frustrated if you don't. Uh, but when you get it right, it's super rewarding, isn't it? So you've got, obviously, you've got as much frustration sometimes as you do the reward. But, um, but it's great to be like that. And, and with your Viper, you'll find that it, it'll just be a, a, a you know, a, a pattern machine, like an iMac machine. Uh, and you'll just be punching massive holes in the sky, big loops, big turnarounds. Um, yeah, and you will just love it. Now, speaking about pilots and great pilots like you and I, um, <laughs> who, are some of, who are some of the jet pilots that you look up to, from, whether it be um, local or around the world? Yep, yep. Um, uh, well, obviously, Paul Bennett's been a huge um, influence on, on me. Uh, and my, my, um, yeah, my whole, my whole journey through it. Um, Dave Horan, who, who I fly with, um, he, he's a great guy, uh, really, really, um, clever guy with engineering and scratch building and all that sort of stuff. Cause I, I can't scratch build. I, I just, I'm in awe of those guys that can, and I, I don't have that skill. Um, um, and, and he's got a very disciplined approach to flying as well. Dave does. So, um, yeah, there'd be Dave, Peter Agnew, you know, he's a very good flyer and I've, I've grown up, um, back in the day when I was getting into jets, watching guys like Peter, um, you know, with his MiG-15 and just smooth, smooth and, and scale-like flying. Um, mate, there's so, there, there's so many, I, I don't want to name too many more cause I forget any, um, that'd be, that'd be, um, disappointing, but, um, yeah, I, I do have those guys and, and obviously you know some of the overseas guys that you that you watch flying um like ali and um scale flying by peter goldsmith um yeah that's very very motivating um to 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 watch that and i guess you just mash it all in and yeah and try and try and emulate as much of it as best you can yeah some good names there i've been watching a few of the guys from overseas like ali um, Jace Ducey, who's a very good freestyle aerobatic pilot, has also dabbled with um, sport sport jets and done displays and entered a few comps and and yep. run and and just having a look at what what makes their flying look good and what does makes their display look good. Of course, precision. But yep. Ali, as an example, is a great show pilot. You know, he'll do he'll do the low pass, but it's sort of a bit lower than everybody else, and it's silky smooth and. And then yep. instead of just getting to the end of the runway and pulling vertical, he'll bank to the left and he'll keep it low. You know, but it's nice and precise. The the, the nose isn't dipping up and down, and you know, yep. it's 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 that that you look at and you go, "Gee, did you see recently the top? They had they held the Top Gun competition in the US, and yep. Ellie basically won almost every every division. I saw that. <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. he's incredible. Yeah. Jimmy, he loves his jets. Yeah, Absolutely. and you watch him fly, and it's almost mechanical, isn't it? Like yeah. you know, if he's going to do it, even the turnarounds, when he stops, he stops. You know, the wings stop, and then he'll. You, you can see he releases the aileron, then he then he's on the elevator, and yeah, it's just, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he, um, he loves it. He lives for the hobby. He's just. Yep. He's he's done amazing things for the hobby as well. Yeah, he's a big he has fan for of sure. Had a good chat yep. with him on the podcast. I'd love yeah, to get, I might get him back at some one. point. But uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've been you you mentioned earlier about flying at full size uh, airfields and 
Am I right in saying that you and Paul sort of teamed up and started this Sky Aces RC? Yeah, paper? yeah. So, what what's what's yep. that all about? So, what what how Sky Aces RC was born um, was the, the, we, we had nowhere to fly. So, you know, we'd fly Tamora jets, and the New South Wales jet flyers do a sensational job. They always have. They they still do. Um, but the, tomorrow was only on once a year. And, you know, I'd put a lot of pressure on myself for that one weekend. And, mate, I, I would watch the weeks tick over to September where we'd be at the, at the Terminus Hotel watching the footy finals and and, uh, and at tomorrow. But, you know, I'd come away thinking, I, I need more. I, like, once a year is not enough for me. So um, I thought, okay, we need to get some airports. Like, the Victorian jet guys do it. They do it well. They've done it for a long time. Um, let's make it. No one else is going to do it, so let's do this. So, I um, rang Tim Nolan from our state association and and just said, mate, I, I want to try and get a couple of airport, a airport happening. And um, he guided me through the process. He's fantastic. He's got a good relationship with Casa, and so he said, okay, what you need to do, Casa can't see that. Okay, Levi Wagner wants to fly at a, an airport. You need to you need to become a club or establish a club as an identity to CASA and and all of these people that you're trying to you know apply this through. So so Paul and I thought, okay, right, I will we'll we'll form a club. Um, there's only five members. There's only ever going to be five members. Uh, we've got plenty of guests that come and fly with us all the time, but we haven't done it to be a club or a whatever. We, we've just done it. To, to access these airports and we thought, okay, we'll make a Facebook page and we'll have some fun with it along the way. So yeah, that's how Sky Aces RC was born to, um, yeah, to, 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 to become an identity to, to, to get these airports. And yeah, a lot of work goes into uh, securing these venues, a lot of red tape. Um, so yeah, it, it needed to be something formal like that, that CASA can recognize and yeah, for us to, to, to get it done. Would I be right in saying that you've done all the hard yards now and now it's a bit of a cookie-cutter routine to get access to a, a, an airfield or are you have you got good relationships now with the airfields to be able to organise regular events? Mate, I've got some incredible relationships. At the start, like, they laughed at me. I rocked up at the airport, told them what they were going to do and they, they just thought it was a joke. Um, and we got knocked back the first couple of times and Tim's like, oh, mate, no, they're not happy with this and this. I'm like, okay, well, what do we have to do then? Like, what's the reason? Let's fix the reason. So it got to a point where I printed off, I don't know, a 1, 1,500 flyers and I jogged around the entire Kempsey Airport area, dropping these flyers into everyone's letterboxes saying, this is what we're proposing to do. Um, come down to the Aero Club um, you know, 11 o'clock on, on Saturday. We'll have a talk to you. We're going to start one of the jets up. We're going to show you what, what, what we're proposing and pretty much adopted the approach that this is what we're doing. This is what we want to do. Come and get us. Like if you've got an issue, get us now. Throw it out there. And, and that's what CASA want to see is a, an evidence of community consultation. That's in the approval process. So um, that, they don't want complaints. They don't want people ringing up going, I didn't know about that. Um, uh, yeah, so that, that they want uh, they want you to do your homework before you do the rest. So there was that. There was talking to all the airport users, um, convincing them. So, mate, Kempsey took about two years. Uh, for Tari, it was a bit quicker because we had runs on the board then. But, um, 
Yeah, yeah, but now all I do, honestly, I, I email the airport users. They love us. They absolutely love us up there at Kempsey. Um, I email the Aviation College, Australian Aviation College. I've got a good relationship with the CFI there. Um, the skydivers, cough skydivers, um, I just flick in a text. And, um, yeah, like the, the, we're at a point now where the Aviation College, an international company that trains Chinese pilots for airlines, they will adjust their schedule so we can fly um, with no, no problems at all. So I do that. Then, then, then I, I put out the NOTAM uh, on the Wednesday before so that um, full-size pilots are aware of what we're doing and when we're doing it. And, um, yeah, and then I send an email, you know, a couple of weeks prior to that out to all of our guest list and see who wants to come. And then we, we roll on from there. So, yeah, it is quite easy now. There's been some solid hard yards and, and a fair bit of personal money spent as well. But um, now, mate, we just, we've built the relationships, we've done the, the homework and, yeah, and now we're, we're just reaping the rewards. How often are you running the uh, get-togethers? We're allowed to have seven a year at Kempsey and seven a year at Taree. That's what our instrument says. So um, we don't really have a set calendar um, because... Paul's air shows are changing around all the time and we run them without Paul, that's all right, but he just loves coming to them. So we try and, we try and um, you know, uh, make it coincide with his availability. But we, 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 we almost use the seven at each one. Um, we're probably, you know, six or seven at Kempsey and maybe four or five at Taree. So, um, yeah, it might be two, three, four weeks beforehand. We go, right, we've got a spare weekend. Skydivers aren't operating that weekend. Um, yeah, let's put that one in. So yeah, we just make it up as we go along. It depends on fire weather as well and lots of other things. But yeah, we just we just improvise through the year, mate. And um, yeah, and it's just absolute gold. Do, are the airports totally shut down from all operations when the models are flying? Because I know I no, yeah. Because here I think we in Victoria, Mangalore, and and Wangaratta planes can still come and land. Um, Mangalore, I think yeah. there's there's extra room, there's extra strips, I think, at Mangalore. But, uh, but yeah, Wangaratta, I think, you know, they, the, the, there's not a lot of air traffic out at Wangaratta. Like, you, no. you don't get many, many planes coming in, but, you know, we sort of get notified somehow the plane's coming in, the body packs up and yeah, watches. Yeah, and, and we have to do that. The airports aren't closed, and that's why it's it's important to have a good relationship with the airport users because you tell them you're coming and then they – avoid the area but you will always get people coming in um and we've always got a radio so it's either paul or dave or i out on the flight line with the radio uh listening for full-size traffic if we've got one inbound you know ours is purely a listen and act scenario so we're not going to say oh mate yeah flying doctors can you just hold for 10 minutes while, while we finish this flight or, or anyone for that matter we're, we're down and we're out of the way so um if they say they're just flying over we just say, okay, can you just stay above a thousand feet? We'll stay under 400, and we we'll wait till they pass. If they're if they're coming in for a full stop, which is a landing, uh, then then we just clear and get out of the way. Um, so yeah, there's been no near misses. We've not had one complaint, um, just by the systems we've got in place. But the, the the flip side of that is you can't you can't just set up and have a relaxing flying day like. I don't sit down the whole, the whole mm. Kempsey from the, I'm there as the sun's coming up 
and I'm there walking around in the dark at the end, looking for possible fod on the runway and the taxiway, and and I did not sit down all day. So you you, you can't get complacent. Uh, you've got to stay on it because it only takes a near miss or worse for it to not only endanger someone's life but shut the whole campaign down nationwide for all of us. So no one wants to be that person. So um, it's not a relaxing day at all, but it's a very fun and uh, rewarding day. So and and the more people that that come there, then then obviously the less flying we get, uh, which is which is good as long as everyone's having fun. That's fine. Um, but uh, yeah, there's a, there's a fair bit that goes into it, but it's still well worth it. Yeah, I just hope that, you know, we all have to play our part in those kind of things and, and safety is sort of even heightened when you're at a at a full-size strip. And, and I hope that people just turn up keeping that in mind that we've got to be on our best behaviour because one wrong move is going to end up, you know, being a massive thing and then – and it consumes a lot of time, a lot of people's time. And yep. you mentioned about how you, you flat out at an event and I've organised events in the past and I, I never fly at them. I just don't have time because yep. I'm trying to make sure that everybody's having a good time. And, and, and you know, someone who, who that organises an event is, is making a sacrifice for everybody else. And yep. more often than not, I think like 99.9% of the time, we models are pretty damn good that we respect that and we understand that. And people will tell the line and, and um which is pretty yep. good but uh keep it up everybody we've got to keep 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 the opportunities alive by doing the right thing and and you know some 100%. people some people some people might say we go overboard but it's better to go overboard than underboard and then have oh, you, you have to complacency can like in aviation across the board can can kill it does kill so yeah you've got to just because you know a guy didn't um come in um that didn't read the no tam, that didn't make a 10 mile call. Um, just because that hasn't happened in the last two years, it doesn't mean it's not going to happen today. So um, yeah, so no, you gotta, you gotta stay on the ball and, and it's hard too, because if I've, if I've got some complicated jets there, you know, you don't want to be distracted by trying to, you know, that that's a task in itself, operating jets and, and pre-flight checks and all that sort of stuff, as well as um, running the day, as well as listening to air traffic, um, and we all, everyone there pitches in, mate. We've got a fantastic group of guys, and the ones that hold a PPL or whatever, they any of those can, those guys can can man the, the radio. So, um, no, we've got we've got we've got a great thing. We've got great help, and uh, yeah, we, we're just very very fortunate. Yeah. Now back closer to home, into your shed. What models do you currently have? Um, I've only got jets. <laughs> Fancy that. I, yeah, I got to a point where time became very valuable, and I thought, okay, if I've got time to go and fly a prop model, I need to be flying a jet. So, um, so I've got a F9F Cougar with with a Jetcat 180, and that's uh, that that's unreal. That's like my Harley Davidson of the sky. It's just a beautiful model. It's easy on the brain because my other three are very high maintenance and demanding. So that that's that's awesome, the Cougar, and then I've got um, composite ARF MiG twenty nine, um, which is twin turbine, two Jetcat one forties, um, hydraulic undercarriage, which is just a maintenance nightmare, and that that thing demands a lot of. It's just so high maintenance. Demand, like every fight is an event um, to prepare for and to whatever, uh, and then I've got um. A one-fifth scale Skymaster F-16 with a Jetcat P-300. Um, that's that's a good airshow plane. It's got smoke. It's big. 
it's bright. Um, and then I've got the recent one, the the F18, um, uh, the Skyster F18 that that has just brought me <laughs> some incredible um, um, situations in the last two years. The, the, the thing, the, the memories and the and the situations that that model has created for me is, yeah, been beyond my wildest dreams. It's been yeah, incredible. Well, Paul does. Paul Bennett does call on you to help out with some air shows, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, he does. We, we do we do all the ones um, close to home because you, you don't, um, yeah, you, you don't get many flights. You might only get one flight. Um, so I think I spoke to you earlier and said, you know, traveling interstate for that is not, is not really practical, but yeah, we, we do all of Paul's air shows, um, that, that are close, close by and, and the big one, the Hunter Valley air show. I really enjoy that. Um, and that's good. I, 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 that's a real challenge and I don't compete. I don't have, you know, any real competitions I can compete in with, with my jets. They're, they're too heavy. Um, to do to, to compete with with them in any sort of scale categories in the in the country so i look at these air shows as my you know my competition and i'm competing with myself um because it's it, it, it's um yeah it's, it's very rewarding it's stressful but you can't get reward without stress so you you're turning up um usually your display flight is the first flight that you have at the venue so um, and it can be the first flight you've had in a month as well. So, you know, I've got there early before and tried to get a, a, a trial um, flight in, but, you know, the full-size guys are trying to do the same and they've obviously got priority. So, um, mate, it, it's unreal. It, it's fairly um, stressful, but, but but great fun. And you get the front row seats to a an air show as well. You get to see everything. You're sitting airside for the whole day because when you're not flying in your slot, you're on standby for a fill if, if one of the engines doesn't start or or something so um mate it's it's awesome yeah I, I really enjoy the the pressure and the reward that comes from that what's uh you've got a good hanger i must say you know i'm very very impressed with your hanger the are there any other models though that you'd like to add to it um yeah i've got a sport jet on the way i, I sold my two meter viper jet to um jet bennett uh, and I really regret selling it. If I had my time again, I'd definitely sell it again because he's having such a ball with it and his progression is just crazy. But I, I'm, I'm missing that void. I'm missing that jet that I can just relax and have a have a good fly with. So I've, um, yeah, I've got a, a sport jet on order. I went with a smaller Futura. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah. So um, What size is it? It's... it's uh, it's around the two meter size. It's a similar size to the, you know, the Avanti, um, a little bit bigger than a than a Flash. Um, uh, yeah, so I'm I'm really looking forward to, to that. But in terms of scale jets or big projects, no, mate, I've I've fulfilled my wish list, and I'm glad because I've got to try and pay off my house now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so that's good. I can focus on that. Um, but but I'm really I'm looking forward to improving the models that I have and. and um, and uh, yeah, just doing scales and pieces here and there, and yeah, I've got nothing on the on the radar uh, apart from the sport jet. So yeah, I think you might be the first uh, hobbyist in Australia to actually say that I don't need anything else. Yeah, yeah, I know it's weird. I like my my two dream jets, the Mig Twenty Nine, the F Eighteen. I've got them. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, yep. So, um, mate, I, I, yeah, I don't have anywhere to go. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. A, a big final question, which is the signature move that I have, and that is, what has been your favourite model of all time? Yeah. Um, the the MiG twenty nine comes close because of its complexity and and you know how demanding it is, but it's got to be the F eighteen. Um, that that model uh, has not only is is it connected to my child from um, when I used to watch them take off with mum and dad at the airbase, and the fact I always wanted to be a fighter pilot and never got there, but that model has earned me an invitation last year to the Royal Australian Air Force Fighter Pilots Ball. Um, they they put my model on static display, uh, which is like the Christmas party for all the Hornet pilots. So um, that was incredible to be involved in that. The Chief Air Marshal was there. Everyone who's flown a classic Hornet was there because it was a, a celebration of the classic Hornet. So it's got me that, which has connected me to a couple of fighter pilots as well that I've become friends with. And... Also, in a, in a couple of weeks, related back to that, the Air Force um, to say thank you for for, for 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 me learning the model for the night. Um, they're taking me for a. They won't really tell me what I'm in for, but um, a tour of uh, the RAF base and they're, they're giving me to 77 Squadron, and I'm going to get a pretty hands-on experience with the F-18s before they uh, before they're gone forever. So I reckon they're going to put you in one. Oh, man, I'm scared, but that would be so good. Oh, the, the way I look at it, Andrew, my entire life, I've wanted to do it. I've had 0% chance. On that day, I reckon I got 5% chance, which is more than ever. So Yeah, you got to take anyway. it. Yeah, uh, I, I, yep. look, I'd say just give me the chuck bag just in case. Yeah, but man. Let's go. Let's sure. do it before I change my mind. <laughs> I will need that. I'll be gone for sure. But I don't think that'll happen. But they, they've talked about the simulator or something. But, but mate, that model... That F-18 and the time that I did it with the classic Hornet retiring, it's generated so much interest within the RAF, and it's created these these situations for me and these these uh, memories um, that that are just more than I could ever you know dreamt of. It yeah. just amazed me, like people like yourself that have gone out there and done stuff, whatever defines stuff as, and all yep. the spin-off opportunities. And, and I always say to my kids. If you do something, something else is probably going to happen as well. That's going to be pretty good. And yeah, uh, you know, like the, the uh, I I I decide to you know start a podcast, and the next minute I'm having a chat with Peter Goldsmith and uh, Ali Machinchi and uh, Gerno Brookman and things like that. These opportunities yeah. come about, and then even opportunities outside in my work sphere because I can say, look, I've been doing this podcast. Here it is, and so people then say, hey, we need a podcast done. Do you want to help us with it, kind of thing, and. It, and it, yep. it all stems from just giving something a crack. And, and I think that anybody that, like yourself, you deserve the opportunities because of the effort that you made. And, you know, not everybody does that. And uh, Yeah. But, you know, if you, if you want to be like that, if you want to be like Levi, go and do something. Get out there. Yeah. Build a nice <laughs> plane. Make yourself known. You know, yep. Put on some events. But um, yep. it's, it's awesome. I, I like the I can I can sense the passion, you know, when you talk about um, era modeling. But yep. it sounds like you're obsessed in a good kind of way. You know, yep. I know people that are obsessed with just buying more planes and buying more planes and buying more planes and buying more planes. You're not yep. trying to buy more planes. You're just trying to just have a great time flying the stuff yep. that you've got 
and uh, and yeah. giving pe- other people the opportunity to come out and have fun as well by organising events, which is oh, I love really watching good. other people have fun. I really do. Like like when I'm out on the flight line, I'll take photos of them. You know, I'll put photos of them on our Facebook page. I really love people enjoying uh, the hobby, and and to know that you've had even a, a little part in that is is really cool too. So um, um, mate, it's it's great. We've got to have you up one day when when we I can you and what, you're getting yeah. me excited yeah. uh, at some point in time i think the 23rd of november they're talking about taking down the uh the barriers between the states and uh yep you know that means we can get traveling i, I look I'm, I'm feeling really confident about uh, confident about this covid situation that they're talking now about maybe a vaccine being available by march next that. year yep. which means a lot of the flying events that we've come to to love that you know some of the big events that we see will probably be back on next year um, based yep. on that sort of time frame, yep. which is um, really good. And, and oh, I, I'm feeling, exciting. I'm feeling the pep in my step. I, I, I'm going to the flying club this weekend to fly. And that yep. is just, I'm not, I'm sitting there, I'm planning now, what am I going to fly? Which plane should I be flying? Yep. Uh, you know, I need to, and, and I, but I'm not, I don't have high hopes for myself. Just go there, keep on practicing, do your thing, enjoy the, yep. enjoy the day out kind of thing. But, um, exactly. You're out of jail. And, and mate, it's so good for, for, for us, for the rest of the country to see Victoria out of this now. Like that's a, a torturous hell that you've been through. So it's um it's so good to, to see that um, happening now. What are the restrictions in summer as far as jet flying? I know um, total fire ban days are out of the question, but are there yep. any, you know, do you find that clubs have restrictions as far as, you know, whether turbines can fly in summer? Yeah, some some clubs do, but I'm not really involved with any any clubs. So um, we just use we, we just use common sense. Like if if at Kempsey say um, we've had a lot of dry weather and it's going to be 35 degrees, but there's no fire ban, then we won't fly. Um, so you know, obviously, if there's a total fire ban, you can't. Um, so I, I guess, mate, it's yeah, total fire ban is a no-brainer. That's definitely out. But then it's just use your discretion from there. You probably don't want to be at the field, you know, in mid-30s anyway. So, um, yeah, so, so um, yeah, yeah, total fire ban. And that's really um, that's really all you got to look for and check the temperature and go from there. Power on. Well, Levi, I have thoroughly enjoyed this chat with you. And it's been one of those podcasts where there are just pockets of gold of information that you've given all of us not only me but everybody else that's listening in relation to landing jets flying flying tips and all that kind of stuff that i it is the kind of podcast that i will listen back to because to remind <laughs> me what i should be doing and i was i was taking mental notes you know uh about what i should be doing and hey that's a really good point um so i really appreciate you joining me here on the flat out rc podcast and a big thank you for all your enthusiasm, all the work that you're doing with the jet community, especially up in New South Wales. Do you ever come down to the Wang Jets? Yeah, mate. The last time I was there was 2015, I think. Uh, and I used to love Wangaratta. Funnily enough, it coincided with the birth of my first little girl. So I haven't been back since then. So I've got three and five-year-old little girls. So one, when they get a bit less um, dependent on me, then you know I can, do, can spend the two days in the car to, attend such a thing um so i'm really looking forward to getting back down to wangaratta and catching up with you meeting all the guys i haven't seen for for years and um mate i'll be there for sure well vice versa if i'm up in new south wales and uh i'll do the same thing my kids are a bit older so they don't like me anyway so it doesn't matter <laughs> if i spend a few days away from them yeah levi thank you for joining me 
No, thank you, Andrew. And, mate, I just want to say thanks, too. It's a pretty selfless thing that you're doing. You know, you're hardly going to retire off the, off the proceeds for this. Um, so I appreciate what you're doing, and I really enjoy the, the, the episodes, mate. And, um, yeah, you, you keep up the good work, too. Thanks, Levi. Now I've got a big head. <laughs> so do I. About to leave. Already packing. Come with me. I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Levi Wagner. Uh, Levi, thanks for joining me on the on the podcast. I really was glad to have a turbine guy joining me and and I got a lot out of that chat. There's a lot that I learned and I find when I'm doing these recordings, when I'm sitting back and really listening closely, I'm learning and I hope you have as well. Uh, I suppose I'm leading up to my first jet flight. Uh, Probably going to postpone my first jet flight until after the summer months here in Australia. Just happy to be flying some prop planes since I haven't been flying for a long time. So just brush up a few of the skills and then we'll get to the jet. Uh, when I'm ready for it, no mad rush at all. But yeah, really good to have Levi, and of course, really good to have all of you listening uh, to the podcast. I hope you are enjoying it. Don't forget to subscribe. There's a subscribe button somewhere on whatever platform that you're listening to. There's probably a subscribe button, and whilst you're in the mood for subscribing, don't forget Planet Arsa YouTube channel, Instagram, and Facebook as well. Jump on board. We'll be back next week. Uh, got a great one for next week. It's, uh, it's, it's one of those episodes where it's going gonna, it's gonna to be jam-packed. Let's just say it's the first time that we're going to have multiple guests on the show at once, all in one discussion. And let's just say it's a bunch of young guys. So really excited. So stay tuned. We'll be back next week with the Flat Out RC Podcast. Thanks a lot.